Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to The Phil Hay Show, brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Dan and Michael here from The Square Ball in the studio and remotely today from home. Easter holidays and all that, The Athletic's Phil Hay. And if you're not yet subscribed to The Athletic, you can read all Phil's stuff on Leeds, as well as everything else on the site. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Pound a month for six months at the minute. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. We'll be talking about some of the things that are on the site as we um, as we head through the show today. Into part one, though, where we will reflect on what's happened in the last seven days for Leeds United and what that is was a 3-0 win at Watford, Phil. How was it for you, as the saying goes? Oh, I thought you were going to start by saying I called it, because oh, you did. No, nobody needs any of that um, egotism on this show, Phil. We're all friends <laughs> here. I will say, Dan called it thinking it would all click into place um, and, and, it, we, and, and we were going to have a great performance. As it was, he spent most of the second half in the toilet or the kitchen because he couldn't bear to watch it. So it was not the comfort that he was quite anticipating. Yeah, I did get a few WhatsApp messages saying that you were dodging certain parts of it. It, it was kind of a 3-0 a win rather than a 3-0 win, if that makes sense. Not quite the wrapped up by halftime that we've been we've been looking for, but maybe we've got one of them coming now that it's all looking a little bit, a little bit tidier down at the bottom of the league. It was obviously a, a, a really big result, but it developed into a really big week. Kind of out of nowhere, it was It was not as if there was never going to be anything riding on the Watford game. And it felt more than anything as if it was a game that was going to potentially let Watford back into it, rather than completely redraw the, the table as it was down at that end. But because of Burnley beating Everton on Wednesday night, and then because of Everton beating Manchester United in the early kickoff on Saturday, which I don't think many people expected until you saw Manchester United playing in the way that they play so often. And it was a pretty pitiful performance from them over at Goodison and a massive leg up for Everton in a game that I don't think they'd have marked down as three points at any stage. It did make it very nervy and it did suddenly make the game at Watford incredibly crucial. And I think it went from being a game that Leeds desperately didn't want to lose to being a game that they really had to win to stop it all closing in. And, and as we came away from Vicarage Road, somebody made the point that Burnley would you play four times before Leeds played again away at Crystal Palace. And I have a sneaky feeling that what went on on Saturday between Everton winning early, Leeds winning, you know, in the end, comfortably by by the scoreline at Vicarage Road, I think that will have had an effect on Burnley away at Norwich on Sunday because that was a terrible result for them. And they must have felt after the Everton game on the Wednesday that it was set up for them to to really turn the screw. What was it like in the stadium then? Because what we realised in doing our coverage of it through this week is that we experienced it very differently through a TV screen versus the people who were in the away end who seemed to have a, a high old time of it. They looked like they were having a whale of a time. What was it like from the press box? They had a whale of a time towards the end of it, but it was incredibly nervy and unbelievably low quality game as well. I mean, the number of errors and misplaced passes from both teams right the way through the game, or certainly up until the point where Leeds finally got a grip of it in the last 15 minutes, was pretty remarkable. And I think it added to the air of, of anxiety that was around the place. I mean, Watford had to win that. I, I think they've they've gone now, and, and I think Roy Hodgson's body language afterwards, without him 
raising the white flag completely. I think it told you that, that he's not sure now where the points are coming from. I, I think they're, they're in deep, deep trouble and, and probably gone. So it was on their minds without any doubt, but it was very much on, on Leeds' minds as well. And, and even at 1-0 up, there was that critical period in the second half where Sam missed a really good chance inside the box, slashed at it, needed a, a calm finish. And if that had gone in and, and it had gone one all, then I think all bets would have been off for, for what was coming. But it really did take the second Rodrigo, you know, second goal, Leeds goal, um, that Rodrigo pinched, bad error from, from Watford at the back to settle the game down for Leeds. And, and it felt at that point like that was exactly what was needed. You know, it needed a mistake. It needed something that just gifted Leeds a, a little bit of a step over the line to get them home. But the one thing I would say is that we've been saying all season that in the, the games against the sides who look like they're going down, and it does look like Burnley, Watford and, and Norwich have, have got a real struggle now to get out of there. Leeds have always had that additional bit of quality over them, which I think is the reason why Leeds aren't bottom three and, and are further up the table, not by a huge margin, but by enough that realistically they, they do look like they're going to stay up now. And you saw that again on Saturday. There was the goal from Rafinha in the first half. There was the third goal, the Harrison finish and lovely little ball into him from, from Sam Greenwood. Just those little degrees of ability and class made the difference on the day. And, and I think more than anything, that is what's kept Leeds afloat this season. Do you get the sense that Leeds grew into that as the game went on? When that second goal went in, everybody kind of realised, ah, we've got this one now. And almost looking at the season as a whole, thinking, yeah, we can probably stay up now. This this is a significant result. Very much the second goal. I wouldn't have said that they were growing into it prior to the second goal. If, if anything, it felt to me like it had become a bit more disorganised and, and a bit more worrying, to be quite honest, at, at 1-0. Watford were probably having their best spell of the game. And Leeds were helped by the fact that there was a, a complete lack of, of quality and precision from Watford when it came to the area around the, the, the Leeds box. There was nothing really coming at Leeds, particularly, as I say, there was that big chance for Saar, but but that was it. But at the same time, it was becoming nervy in a way that made you wonder if if there was going to be a mistake and an error that was going to let Watford in. I thought Liam Cooper, we touched on him quite heavily in the previous podcast, but I thought he had a, a top performance at Vicarage Road, did so many of the basics and so much sweeping up, which was exactly what was needed in that sort of game. But as soon as Rodrigo scored, you're right, it, it was like releasing the pressure um, from Leeds' perspective anyway. And because of that, they were able to play more freely and they were able to produce a goal like the third, which which was lovely, great finish, lovely build-up. And you could see that, that Watford's heads had gone by then. They, they were the heads were down. I think they, they know that they're down. And, and it, it, as you say, the, the away end was able to enjoy it in the end. And there hasn't been too much of that. But to go back to what I said at the very start, you know, you get 3-0 wins and you get 3-0 wins. And this was the former, if that makes sense. It's funny, though, because I went and watched the second half on Sky again, like I recorded it and uh, watched it on Catch Up. And OK, I was aware of what the result, what the outcome was going to be. But I thought we were relatively comfortable in that second half, albeit absorbing quite a lot of pressure. There was there was no point at which you looked at what Watford were doing and thought they've got something about them here. I think it was a really solid defensive performance looking back on it. That's probably the best way to put it, that it didn't feel as if Watford were going to find a way through. I think the concern for us at close range and, and watching it play out was the, the struggle that Leeds were having to piece together attacks and, and to retain possession more than anything. The, the ball retention for both sides was was such a challenge right the way through, but perhaps not a great surprise because of what was riding on the game and because of what had gone before. I mean, the, the, the Everton result at Goodison Park, I think probably changed things more for Leeds than it did for Watford. Watford were 
were heavily up against it beforehand anyway and, and have just not had enough results this season to give themselves a, a reasonable chance of, of getting out of trouble. But Everton was suddenly on, on Leeds' tail and I think you said last week that you, you quite fancied Burnley to, to win at Norwich. I honestly felt after the win over Everton that they would they would get something from Carroll Road and I think that was very much hanging over the game at Watford as well was the thought of if, if Burnley do win at Norwich, which you know is, is very possible, how is the table actually going to look by the close of play on, on Sunday? And there have been, I think, over the past three, four, five weeks, there have been some quite big swings, you know, between situations where it could look desperate, actually it suddenly looks an, an awful lot better. You know, the Gilhart goal against Norwich, the, the ailing winner down at Wolves, it, it does change things massively. And from, from Jesse Marsh's perspective, it's, it's 10 points from four games, which in these circumstances is what you have to do to get yourself out of trouble. And I think, you know, the, they will still need a result, another couple of results leads, but they are very, very nearly there now, helped by that that result at Carroll Road. But I think it would take quite a spectacular collapse now for them to, to get sucked back in. Just to correct what you said there, Phil, because somebody will point it out to us. I tipped Norwich to get something out of Burnley, not the other way around, but um, we knew what you meant anyway. I, I just want to get, yes. get it on record. Yeah, that, that, was, that was right, that's all. <laughs> I, I, I most certainly would not want to rob you of that moment, Phil. <laughs> How much of a difference do you think Cooper's made in, in both this and, and the previous game? Exactly what we said last week. It's the combination with Cooper of communication and the general leadership that you get from the back, which uh, get from him at the back, which I think is is very very good. But also the fact that he is minded to do the simple things when when they need to be done. I mean, it has to be said that one of the things that we also brought out of him was the confidence to play with the ball, commitment to playing with the ball, and 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 I think as Cooper has said himself in the past, it's a style of football that, that definitely suited him but defensively he is very good at, at spotting what's going on around him he is very good at, at dealing with with trouble when it pops up and it absolutely needed that on Saturday even by half time I'd kind of lost count of the number of interventions from him you know headers tackles just in, in the right areas and in, in, at the right moments to stop Watford getting any kind of foothold around the box or, or any kind of proper dominance and as I, I've said previously with Cooper I think there is definitely a ceiling of ability there I, I don't think he is going to develop into a truly sort of outstanding Premier League centre-back in, in the way that we recognise them. But I think he is still the most reliable centre-back at the club. And I think that performance on, on Saturday is as good as we've seen from, from any of the centre-backs who've been used this season. And, the, you know, the, very much the right performance at the right time. Up at the other end of the pitch, what's happened to Rodrigo? Because he is a man reborn. And um, the, the hassling that brought about the second goal, you know, it wasn't particularly accurate, wasn't the through ball. The classic comedy of errors, but he was there, right place, right time, and he's absolutely on fire at the minute. Yeah, and and that's it, really. You know, it's an awful goal for Watford to to concede, but in those circumstances, you you've got to take advantage of that, and and you've got to make the most of it. And he has been incredibly positive, I think, in in the way he's played under Marsh. Although it's worth saying that, that he was interviewed um, in the Evening Post a couple of weeks back, and he was talking about the fact that he kind of been bothered by injuries all season that it hadn't let him play too freely and it had been a, a bit of a weight on his shoulders but you remember the, the piece I wrote just after Marsh came in about the leadership group at, at Leeds and the fact that you know this group of senior players that is the, the sort of conduit between the club and the dressing room and, and also the your head coach and coaching staff and, and the dressing room as well and it was Marsh's decision to expand it beyond the size of the initial group, which I think was, was four people, to bring in Phillips and, and Bamford, but also, I think pretty crucially, to, to bring Rodrigo into into the fold as well. And 
as I guess as a bit of representation for the pretty large number of foreign players who who were at Leeds, I think Marsh looked at it and, and felt that having you know purely English or, or British players in this this leadership group wasn't the way to go, considering that it is quite a, a cosmopolitan bunch. And I think he realised as well that Rodrigo's into his thirties now, so isn't an experienced player. He's played in the Champions League. He's, he's a Spain international. He is exactly the sort of person that you should be leaning on in these circumstances. He's, he is still the club's record signing. I think everybody knows that there's still quite a bit more to be brought out of him, I think, to make that £27 million look like money well spent. But he has been massively influential in this period. He's been influential in a, a period where Leeds had to get results. And his performances and his goals have helped no end. Do you think the switch to zonal markings helped him? Because when I did the rewatch of the second half, I noticed there were a couple of times when uh, Leeds conceded possession or a move broke down. And because he wasn't forced to hair around chasing an individual man, he was able to just sort of ease off a little bit because you know that you've got the the sort of midfield and defensive structure is there to cope with Watford coming at us on the break and he didn't have to start charging around after a man. He could just recover and then be ready for the next action. Do you think this suits him a little bit more? He never seemed to me like a player who was especially great at, at pressing or especially enthusiastic about it. And the thing about the man-to-man system under Bielsa was that that was absolutely critical. If it worked well and it worked effectively, then Leeds tended to dominate games and, and tended to win them. As we saw latterly, if, if it didn't work, then they, they could be very heavily exposed and, and were from time to time. And and I always felt watching Rodrigo that I could see a player there and I, I could see good things about his game. I, I could see definite talent. But I didn't think defensively he was necessarily as suited to Bielsa's system as, as certain other players who were in the team. So, yeah, no, I, I think no doubt it, it probably will help slightly. I think it's probably fair to say as well that the zonal market is helping with set pieces. They do look a lot more secure under them, Leeds. They do look a, a lot more resistant to, to concessions from those areas. And that, again, it, it was a kind of issue with Bielsa right the way through the, the Premier League era with him, the, the season and a half that, that he was head coach. It was a problem in, in the first season, although it did tighten up towards the end. And it had become a, an issue latterly as well in, in his last few games as head coach. It, it does look now like slightly less of a weakness, although again, we're not talking about a huge number of games under Marsh. But uh, my kind of gut feeling with that is that it, it has helped and it has made a difference. Do you think the sort of narrower style that we've got attacking is suited Harrison or is it is it purely his son of a bitch coming out that's that's led to this good <laughs> run of form? Well, the funny thing is with Harrison, I, I didn't think he had a particularly great game on Saturday. I didn't think anybody with the exception of Cooper played particularly well, although, you know, I'd, I'd single out Sam Greenwood as well. I, I thought that was a really good cameo off the bench and, and actually with hindsight, quite a, a clever substitution. I think one of those that everybody in, you know, possibly us included, were inclined to look at and think, you know, is, is this not Gilhart's moment? You know, going back to that that debate that just seemed to go on endlessly um, under Bielsa. But Greenwood, I mean, Greenwood is, is seen as, as far more of an, an out-and-out centre-forward than, than Gilhart, although Gilhart can play there and, and can also play a little bit deeper as well. But I think there's a feeling that, that Gilhart can be a bit more versatile. But Greenwood was extremely good at, at dropping deep and, and linking up play. And, and if you look at the third goal, it was basically that, falling into a position where Watford couldn't pick him up getting the ball, having time on it and enough time to, to pick out Harrison out wide. But I thought a lot of the game was actually quite a struggle for Harrison. The one thing that they are getting from Harrison at the moment is goals. I mean, someone was pulling up the stats on on the way home. And I think in, in the Premier League, um, there is only one player who's scored more goals than him since the turn of the year. Um, so that side of his game has, has really come to the fore. And, and it was always a side of his game in the Championship that I thought 
you know, that, that Leeds could get more of from him. I, I thought that there could be more goals in, in his game than, than there were. But yeah, I mean, at this stage, and I think we, we'll, we'll come on to talking about this in, in the second part of the podcast, but at this stage, it, it becomes slightly churlish to argue about style and over the substance of results because results were what were needed. Results were entirely what it was about with Marsh um, when he came in at the end of February. Further down the line, that debate will develop. But I think when you've got three wins and a draw from four matches in the situation that Leeds are in, you have to say that's pretty good work. Just on Harrison, does he strike you as one of the biggest sort of confidence players in that squad? He does me. It looks like he really needs to have his tail up for him, him to perform well. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I would say there are others as well, though. I think Bamford seems to me to be very much a confidence player and someone who, who benefited massively from basically a permanent and constant injection of confidence from from Bielsa. I get the sense that that might be true of Dan James as well, somebody who, who when he's playing well and, and like you say, has his tails, tail up, can, can really thrive. Someone who, who, when it's not going so well, probably does need handled in, in a slightly different way to other players. But yeah, I, I think that's that's true of Harrison. And, you know, regardless of, of how he's playing or how the performances are going, it can't be harming his confidence at all to be scoring goals like this because, you know, it, it has to be said that with you know, the exception of Rodrigo, really, nobody else is, is scoring regularly at the moment. Uh, Rafinha was, was very reliable before the first, uh, you know, during the first half of the season. Hasn't been quite the same latterly. But you need goals in these situations. You need points and you need to win games. And it has been crucial, that. Your big takeaway from Vicarage Road, then, is it relief? It is relief. Although I have had this gut feeling all season. And I think the one point at which I really wavered about it was after the Aston Villa game. I have had this feeling that, that Leeds would be good enough and would have enough to, to stay up. And yes, relief, but I think that the biggest takeaway is that ultimately they, they have had that sliver of class and quality that they've needed. It's not to say that they've played well this season. It's not to say that you could pick out more than a handful of, of good performances, I don't think. I think there have been a lot of games where they've struggled or a lot of games where they've, they've struggled to, to piece it all, all together. But you know, little things like Rafinha's goal on Saturday, Harrison's goal on Saturday, just this moment, those moments where Leeds can do it in ways that Norwich, Watford, Burnley can. I, I do think that when we, we look back, we'll think that that, that as well as the, you know, the, the real the real willingness to dig in in this period and, and to make it happen, I think that will look like the difference to us. Does it make you wonder about the style? And we will get into that a little bit more, like you say, in, uh, in, in part two, that maybe this slightly more pragmatic style and reliance on individual skill and moments has actually stood us in better stead than all-out attack in that we've got some quality within the squad, but we're not exposing ourselves to massive risk at the back anymore. It's hard to say because we'll, we'll never have the benefit of knowing what would have happened in, in, had Bielsa stayed as head coach for the back end of the season. And there's no doubt that, that some of the games that Leeds have won would have been winnable with Bielsa as well. You know, Norwich at home and, and Watford away, I, I think, to be the, the, the two prime examples. But the one thing I think that has changed is the defensive structure and the fact that Leeds don't look, I don't think, as susceptible to conceding goals, certainly as they were in particularly that final week under Bielsa, but I think a slightly more extended period, even thinking to the game at, at Goodison Park, where a really, really poor Everton side were were made to look very, very good, I think, and, and dominated that game. But it seems to me that it has been pretty reliant this on, you know, little moments of brilliance, little moments of, of quality, on 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 big players stepping forward. I mean, it's worth saying that, that on Saturday, again, there was no Calvin Phillips until later in the game. 
and you put him in the team and, and I think he, he does bring leads forward. He, he does move them up a level and it was handy having him on the pitch. And, and I think, again, a little bit like he'd, he'd done um, in the back end of the Southampton game, just a, a calm head, a kind of strong presence there. It, it did help. But yeah, I, I think, Looking at this period, I don't think you can say it's been a run of, of outstanding performances from Leeds, but they've done enough, and in this period, that's what they needed to do. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Let's get into this um, Bielsa Marsh stuff a little bit more then in this part. And if you're listening and, and rolling your eyes, I think that's kind of what we want to talk about, isn't it? The debate that's sprung up from where, is there any merit in it? Why is this happening, Phil? A few reasons for this. The first is that for all but, you know, the, the short period under Bielsa, the, the football was outstanding and outstanding to a level that, that very few of us had seen for a long, long time at Leeds. And and one supporter was saying to me last week with Bielsa, it is the most exciting football he's ever watched. You know, it's not to say it's the most successful football. You know, you, you couldn't compare the Bielsa era to the, the Reeve era when it comes to, to what was produced, the trophies that were won and, and everything else. But people did find it exhilarating. The strange situation that Marsh is in is that he's replaced an incredibly popular head coach. And, and what tends to happen at clubs is that when managers are sacked or head coaches go, they've potentially lost the, the faith of the of the board. That tends to be what drives it ultimately. But quite often they've lost the, the faith of the fans as well. And, and it's unusual to see a manager going with so much goodwill around him. And because of that, it, it makes him very, very difficult to replace. And when you do replace him, when you're the head coach, the manager chosen to replace him, it requires some diplomacy. You know, you, you are required to say the right things about Bielsa. You are required to, to show the right amount of, of deference. And you know, inevitably, that, that your football is going to be judged in, in comparison to his. Now, I think that's slightly different at the moment because of the fact that the results are, are so crucial and, and results are needed. And, and as I say, said in, in part one, it's a little bit churlish to be arguing about the quality and, and standard of performances when it's it's 10 points from four games and, and that has made such a difference to, to the table. But I do feel like there's a, a little bit of, if I can call it a culture war, a little bit of a, a culture war brewing. And, and I guess this was always going to happen on, on the back of Bielsa. You're going to have this debate and you're going to have a section of the support who do compare one type of football to the other, who are used to being entertained by Bielsa's football. And it should be said, you know, used to being entertained week on week. It wasn't if, as if from time to time Bielsa's team played well. There were long, long periods where they were exceptional you know, on a consistent basis, you know, talking weeks on end, months on end. I think what should be said is that latterly, they did not look like a good team, you know, 
particularly at the very end under Bielsa, they were conceding a huge number of goals and and in certain games were, were being ripped to shreds. But I, I suspect that this was always coming because whoever replaced Bielsa was going to have not necessarily the impossible job, but the very, very difficult job of trying to match up to him in some way. I feel like part of the problem is we're comparing Marsh with not Bielsa of this season, but Bielsa of the previous seasons, because this year, truthfully, has not been good. There haven't, there haven't been those vintage attacking performances, have they? Even even the wins we've had have generally been fairly, by fairly narrow margins. And I guess there's only West Ham away that you would look at and you'd say, well, that was a game that we've got something from that we maybe didn't expect and we played well throughout. Other than that, it was pretty patchy. No, I, I agree with that. And and I think you also have to say that Marsh inherited a squad who, who were definitely low on confidence and, and badly out of form. He hasn't had the benefit of a transfer window yet. I think even more than than the transfer window, although you know Leeds are going to have to to play that well through the summer, and and they're going to have to change the squad in, in quite a significant way, I think. But also, he hasn't had the benefit of of pre season um, and a, and a long stretch in in which to train and and to coach the players properly in his methods. I mean, funnily enough, it, as it's happened because the international break and then the postponement for Chelsea and the and the rearrangement of the the Crystal Palace game it has actually opened up a little bit of time um, and free time in which he will be able to do more work with the players and, and he will be able to to talk a little bit more about, about tactics and, and to work harder on them. But in these circumstances, and particularly because at the stage where he came in, you know, Leeds were right on the cusp of, of the relegation places. It's unfair, I think, to expect too much too soon. As I say, I'm, I'm very much aware that, that that is coming because you do see you do see a lot of that discourse, you know, about, how good the team have been so far, how good the performances have been. I did ask, you know, Marsh on, on Saturday, you know, the, the results are there. How do you go about putting more quality into this team? And I think the answer from his point of view with that is time. You know, it's time. I think it's recruitment as well. I don't think anybody can deny that and I don't think anybody should. I mean, to, to give you one example, he spoke afterwards about the need to use Sam Greenwood more and, and Gelhart and, and you know players of, of that ilk. And I totally agree that, that they should. But I think in this summer coming up, of all summers, that should not be allowed to distract from the fact that Leeds are short centre-forwards and, and do need, I think, another, another proven option there. But that will make a difference. And I think time will make a difference as well. And, and I find it very difficult to pass judgment on Marsh until we get into next season. And and if you are passing judgment on him, you have to say that it is three wins and a draw from the last four games. And, and that was exactly what was ordered. Absolutely, yeah. You can separate out the results and how effective Marsh has been in coming in from the style, which is, it's been, I guess it had to be difficult, didn't it? Because um, th- this is a squad casting Marcelo Bielsa's image. It's been constructed in his image. The players have been recruited, the ones that he wanted. You look at Dan James, for for example, somebody who he always um, had a thing for and they eventually delivered on that transfer towards the back end of the summer window. Because I, I say this because somebody tweeted us this morning saying, oh, you're still banging on about Marcelo Bielsa, give it a rest. It's like, well, this is kind of, this is his team and, and Marsh is trying to fashion something out of his team and he was still the manager six and a half weeks ago. So he's not just going to go away because you want people to stop talking about you because you're fine with it. Yeah, and and I think... As well, when it comes to Marsh, you know, I, I was saying that you, you you have to be diplomatic and you have to show some deference, but you do have to exert yourself as well, and you do have to have some freedom to speak your mind and, and to take a view on on what's been going on. I think you shouldn't underestimate the difficulty of coming in and having to assume control of a squad like this at this point in the season to gain some buy-in from them first of all, but also to I guess to eradicate the the anxiety and and the 
the fear in their minds of are we going down? Is this endemic? Is this set in? And actually, have we got the results in us? Because I have to be honest, after the Aston Villa game, I don't know if any of us were convinced that Leeds had the results in them. It wasn't that you didn't think that Norwich was winnable or or Watford was winnable. But as I've said many, many times, and, and this just this is just an observation of, of Leeds over the years, the pressure at Ellen Road when it comes seems to intensify in a way that it doesn't at many other clubs. I, I always feel when Leeds come under the cosh, it's incredibly intense and it's incredibly difficult to deal with. So it hasn't been an easy gig, this. And one of the things that I think Leeds need to avoid going forward, and, and so do head coaches coming in and, and Marsh being, being the incumbent at the moment, is... I guess people kicking each other in the balls constantly about the football was like this. You know, this is how it was previously. This is how it, it has to be now. It, it does have to move on. Things are going to change. Things will change. I, I don't think because Bielsa was exceptionally successful and, and exceptionally well-loved, it doesn't mean that Marsh can't be successful in his own right. But I think even to take the, the Bielsa aspect out of it, there will come a time where people will lead, look for Leeds to play better uh, than they have done so far. And, and I think justifiably so. I'm just not sure this is the time for that debate or, or that argument. I think it has to come further down the line. And it has to come at a stage where certain things have been allowed to happen, i.e. recruitment, first of all, um, but also pre-season. And just around the debate, it can be true, can't it, that Bielsa's football was amazing. It delivered us an incredible memory around the promotion and a really good first season back in the Premier League and even if it stopped working and it was necessary to have a change and Marsh is the right appointment all those things can be true at the same time we don't have to pit one against the other do we? No, not, not at all and and the whole point of the BLC era especially when it properly got going and you realised that they were in this really special period was it was supposed to open the door to a really, really strong future at Leeds it was supposed to open the door to future progression it wasn't going to be him forever because it couldn't be him forever. There was always going to be this change at some stage. But the idea was that it was, you know, it was kind of incremental building, except on the Bells, it was always exponential because the rise for three years was just so rapid and so impressive. But yeah, I mean, it, this needs to be progress and you need to, you need to constantly look for progress. You need to constantly make progress. And I think without being able to speak for him, I think the last thing Bielsa would want would be for, you know, his period at Leeds and, and the huge success of it to be an albatross for other people who tried to take the club forward. I, I think he would want the positivity of that of that stretch to feed into whoever followed him and, and to stay with the players who, who were there. He, he would not want it to be seen as an isolated period in which Leeds were incredible and, and the football was amazing, only for them to revert to type and, and to go back to, to what was before because there was too much work put into it. There was too much effort, too much time devoted to it. And as I say, I mean, in, in the circumstances at the moment, the only priority is is to stay up. And the results recently have meant that leads of, of every single, every, you know, every chance of doing that and, and, and should stay up. And I think for now it's enough. I think that the results coupled with what Marsh said on TalkSport this week have probably acted as something of a catalyst for, for this argument, particularly in like Twitter, for example, like in the online spaces, because we've got no game this weekend. So we've said before, nature hates a vacuum doesn't it so it fills it with some sort of noise and, and the noise this week has been around that what, what do you make of, of what Jesse Marsh said on on TalkSpot well for anybody who didn't hear it although I imagine most people will have done he, he was he was asked about the injuries at Leeds um, which have obviously been problematic to say the least 
The phrase he used was overtrained, um, which, you know, the implication for that is that, that they, they train too much, there's too much stress put on their bodies. And, and as a result, we, we you know, it's, it's contributed to um, to the injury list that, that Leeds have had. Again, it's the nuance, isn't it? The players at Leeds were overtrained and Bielsa never made any secret of that. That was the case right from the, the very beginning. And, the, you know, the, the extent of training and the amount they did was a celebrated reason for why they were so good and why they were so successful. You know, that was why they were able to play in the way that they played. That was why they were able to dominate games in the way that, that they were able to. That was why they went from a team who were 13th in the championship to a team who won the division because he, he did push them and he, he, he had extremely high standards of fitness and conditioning and, and physique. And it, it was absolutely fundamental to, to what Leeds were. I think it has been more problematic this season. I think it's been much more of an of an issue. When I was talking a little while back about injuries, I was saying that, that at the point where Bielsa went, Leeds had already had twice as many as your, your average Premier League club expects to have in a season. And I think it's, it's probably fair to assume that the, the intensity of the regime contributed to, to some of those. And there are differences under Marsh, you know, he's he started making Thursdays or, or what you would call match day minus two, so two days before a, a match day, far more relaxed and far more quiet. So so very much easing the intensity as opposed to, to increasing it. And you don't get motherball any anymore. But again, you know, motherball was a was a massive part of Bielsa's image. It was it's a massive part of the of the story around him and it and it did make a, a huge difference. So I don't think the, the training is grounds for criticism. Of Bielsa, if you've been talking about Bielsa coming into the club, essentially failing, so not the plan not working, it not going well, him leaving without Leeds getting promoted, then you might say, well, look, you know, the training was too intense and and it didn't work. But when it yields the results that it did for three years, I don't think it's grounds for criticism. What it is grounds for is for a change of manager or a change of head coach if a club no longer has confidence in the project, if a club no longer has faith in what's going on or, or if a club are worried about either the, the training levels or the injuries or, or whatever else. And I think that was part of where Leeds were in February. I, I do think they, they'd lost faith in they've lost faith in it. They'd lost faith in, in Bielsa and I think lost faith in, in you know the, the likelihood of him digging them out of trouble. It's unusual to have a backlash about something like this because it's, it's essentially the standard practice for a new manager to come in and say, none of these players were fit enough, they weren't training properly, I'm going to do this, that and the other. And actually, we're kind of six weeks into Marsh and he's only just come out and said something like this and it's still controversial. Like if if someone came in after Steve Evans or Neil Warnock or any of the other managers of that time and said the previous guy was useless, as bluntly as that, everyone would have gone, yeah, you're right. But because this is actually what is probably a fairly, truthfully, a fairly minor and fair criticism of Bielsa, and it still caused such a backlash, I think it does just show that the, I guess, the loyalty that remains to him uh, in the in the fan base, even if a lot of them probably kind of agree with it, they just maybe don't agree with it being said. Maybe that's just because Bielsa's a sacred cow because he delivered us something so brilliant and because it's the biggest success we've had in however many years that it still feels too soon for some people and you're not allowed to say that about him but it is fine isn't it for things that previously worked to no longer work because everything changes over time players get yeah. older you know systems might stop working or whatever it does it does and and Bielsa always said that he, he wouldn't deviate from anything that he was he was doing so if there did come a day where it wasn't working then it wasn't going to work because there wasn't going to be a massive shift towards plan B or a change of, of training methods or, or anything 
anything like that. I mean, I, I think Michael pretty much answered his own question there by talking about Warnock and, and Steve Evans. That's the difference. The, there was nothing owed to them at the point where where they left. I mean, Evans, you know, came in at, at a point where Leeds were, but it was early in the season. But you know, Leeds were very much at the wrong end of the table, and, and they weren't relegated under him. But nobody felt like there was any debt owed there. Whereas everybody, I think, will constantly feel like there is a big debt owed to to Bielsa. And I don't think anybody particularly wants to seem criticised, although it should be said that nobody's above it and, and nobody should be above it. And I, and I think some of what Marsh is saying is probably fair and, and is is probably accurate, but I don't think it does lead to any good or Marsh any good or Bielsa or, or, or any of us to kind of have this constant back and forward about how does Marsh match up to this? How, how does this compare? I think as time goes on, he'll, he'll have to be judged on his own merits and, if his football is good, it will be good irrespective of, of how Leeds played under Bielsa. If his football is poor, it will be poor irrespective of how Leeds played under under Bielsa. And I think the long and short of this is that it's going to come down to the results, isn't it? Yeah, and I suspect the word time that you used there, Phil, that's probably as much to do with it as, as anything. It, it's the timing, isn't it, that we're not out of danger yet. And for some people, him saying this would have been too soon. For some people, it would have been him saying it too late. They would have preferred to to have heard that earlier. And then this is where this this debate, like this, this grey area between those two sets of parameters, everyone wants to fill it with their own particular opinion. It doesn't matter, does it? What's to be gained from all this? Arguing with people on the internet, what being right against somebody on the internet, it doesn't matter, does it? Well, something tells me that when Marsh's next press conference comes around, he, he might well address this because he has up until now been pretty aware and, and pretty alive to what's been talked about out there and, and what's been said about him and, and what's been discussed. I, I was writing after the Watford game about the match and, and the result and I, I sort of came around to thinking and, and saying in that piece that there probably isn't a club anywhere that's more in need of a holiday than Leeds. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I think everybody just needs a, a bit of a breather, a, a bit of time to reflect, a bit of time to reflect minus the pressure or the chaos of, of relegation, you know, some space to think about signings, some space to think about concerted training with without any games, a bit of downtime more than anything. And this is probably a bit symptomatic of that. The, the Bielsa situation is still really raw, without a doubt. And, you know, it, it was not an easy situation for Marsh to, to inherit, but I think he'll be pretty happy. I think he'll be pretty happy that, you know, in, in these circumstances he has managed to deliver this many points and he has managed to keep Leeds afloat I mean the the absolute nightmare scenario for Leeds I think was sacking Bielsa and going down anyway because it leaves question marks over absolutely everything that you've done and and as it's going at the moment they look like they're going to be in a position to say well okay the, the decision might not have been popular but it to judge by the table and, and to judge by the results you, you can't say that that it was wrong in that respect I think that's partly where the tension arises as well is that we haven't wanted to admit to ourselves maybe at times over the last three or four years with Bielsa that ultimately the league position is all that matters, really. When it boils down to it, when you get down to brass tacks, it's about staying up, it's about being in the Premier League. But Bielsa was the antithesis of that. He offered us something different, didn't he? He offered us an alternative worldview and a style of football that kind of transcended all that financial nonsense. But the truth is there, isn't it? It's, it's about Premier League status, ultimately. It is. I mean, I have to say, I prefer his point of view to the, the general point of view of the Premier League being the be-all and end-all. It was kind of a, a paradox with Bielsa that he wanted to perform and, and he wanted to 
deliver results. And by delivering results, you, you claim to the, the highest level of football that you can. So, you know, for him coming to Leeds, the, the target was the Premier League. But there was a lot about it, which I think he either disliked or, or didn't really understand, particularly the, the commercial side of it. And I, I don't think I'll ever find that easy to argue with. You know, I mean, we were moaning last week about the Premier League anthem. You know, it is that. And, 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 and you know, been flipping about that. But also, you know, on a more serious note, the rearrangement of the game at, at Palace with about three weeks' notice, that is the side of, of football that is becoming more prevalent and more more dominant and the side that a lot of us don't like. And and I think in, in a lot of respects, Bielsa had it right. But to look at the accounts recently, um, they were out last week and the, the massive difference in, in finance between the Championship and, and the Premier League, the glaring fact that in order to be in the Championship and to compete, you need to lose huge amounts of money. You cannot be a club that claims to the Premier League and and spends money as, as Leeds have or, or, or has previously lost money in the EFL in, in the way that Leeds did and just be flippant with the fact that you, you might go down. You know, you do need to stay up and, and that is unfortunately the way of the world. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. No Leeds game this week, so no press conference um, that you've been attending, Phil. However, there are lots of things going on this weekend and plenty of things happening between now and the Crystal Palace game. So... Let's have a look through through some of these. Uh, as for the, the fixtures this weekend and into next week as well, a number of significant ones. Uh, any in particular that jump out at you as ones we need to watch here? It's funny, isn't it? You could be lulled quite easily into thinking that this is um, an international break just because of the fact that Leeds have so little going on. But there are a, a huge number of games playing out. And, and also, I think very shortly we're going to finally get to the point where the table starts showing some parity in, in the number of games that have been played. It seems like from kind of early December onwards, there have been teams with four or five games in hand. There's not quite so many as that, but, you know, higgledy-piggledy all the way up the league. But we might actually get to a point quite soon where we're able to see 
for definite where where everybody stands. Um, I mean, Burnley being the, the prime example, they've been catching up on games for, for a long time now. And um, as we said in part one, coming away from Watford, knowing that they were playing four times before Leeds went away to Palace, that is you know one of the reasons why the result at Watford was, was so crucial for Leeds. I would have said that Watford-Brentford was a, a big game, except I'm not convinced that Watford are going to get themselves out of this. And I think Brentford are probably clear of danger now. But again, you know, to go back to Vicarage Road, sitting looking at, at that game in the second half where, where Watford were getting back into it and, and looking like they might nick an equaliser and then thinking to yourself that the following weekend they're at home to Brentford and, and you know, if they've got a spring in their step, suddenly is that game quite winnable? That's how much this has all been turning. You know, it's how much it's all been twisting from week to week. I think that is probably the game that's most likely to influence the table. I don't see, despite what Manchester United are up to at the moment, I don't see you know Norwich getting much at, at Old Trafford. And I'm not sure I really see Burnley getting a great deal down at West Ham, although West Ham are having a bit of a bit of a wobble. But but what for Brentford, I think, is where you could see some movement. Lots of uh, yellow and green scarves, though, potentially at, um, at Old Trafford. The green and gold derby on Saturday. We don't need to worry too much about Norwich right now, but you'd imagine as long as Norwich don't win that, that they are pretty much completely done dusted. I mean, the odds suggest they are greater than 99% yeah, no, chance of going down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So Watford, Brentford, half an eye on that one. The big one, it's West Ham Burnley on, on Sunday, isn't it, really? I think so. And again, I think that will have popped the balloon at Burnley, though, that defeat at Norwich. Um, and it's not, a, it's not an easy game for them. As I say, West Ham been a little bit up and down recently and, and that's going to knock them out of a Champions League contention but I think realistically a lot of this is now riding on what Burnley do and I think Everton will be feeling the same they're level on games actually with you know with 30 each but Everton's form has been so patchy that they're still very much in it and it might well be that it comes down to a straight up head-to-head between those two for the, the last relegation place but I've always felt that Burnley's running is is pretty good. You know, it's West Ham away, it's Southampton at home, Wolves away, Watford away, Villa at home, Spurs away, Villa away, Newcastle at home. I think there'll be points to be had for, for them in that run. I'm just not convinced they're going to be enough. And looking ahead to the stuff this week, Everton-Leicester, that's Wednesday, isn't it? So do, do we need to keep a big eye on that one? Or, or do you think, are you convinced it is, it's all in the hands of Burnley now? Well, I think the, the bottom line for Burnley is that they have now got to get points on the board. They find themselves four points back from Everton. And that I guess this is the psychological aspect of it, is that you beat Everton in midweek and you think to yourself, we're in business here. And, and Sean Dyche saying after that game, you know, that he said to Burnley's players at half time, I don't think Everton know how to win a game, particularly away from home, but I don't think they, they know how to, to win this. And, and that did very much imply that Whereas Burnley were pretty experienced in, in these circumstances and, and kind of know the way around a, a relegation battle. Everton didn't and, and Everton don't. But then suddenly you have a weekend where Everton beat Manchester United at home and, and Burnley get nothing from Norwich and, and the boots on the other foot. So in order for Leeds to get sucked back into this, there's going to have to be some pretty dramatic movement um, from the bottom three. And as it stands, I can only really see that coming from Burnley. Watford have got seven games to go. Norwich have got seven games to go. Watford 11 points back from Leeds. Norwich uh, 12 points back. It, it seems like too big a gap to me. I think Everton's fixtures are interesting because they, they do still have some quite winnable games in there. But you look at it and the, on paper, the next one that they should really be winning isn't until the 11th of May. They've got Leicester twice and then Liverpool and Chelsea in the next four games. So even though they, they do have that escape route out of it towards the end, you feel like they could be in quite in quite a mess by that point. 
But the other thing as well is that if those games go badly for them and they take very little or nothing from them, then it gives Leeds the chance to, to pull a little way clear again. I mean, I don't think it could be said that Leeds have got particularly favourable games coming up. Palace away will be difficult. And after that, it's it's City, it's Chelsea, it's it's Arsenal. It's not easy. But again, Leeds, they've done what, what they've done all season with the exception of that little period where they lost to Newcastle and lost to Everton. When it's come to the games against teams around them or teams beneath them, they've made something happen and they've taken points. And, and that is the reason that they're up on 33 while you've got Burnley down on, on 24. They have cashed in against Watford. They have cashed in against Norwich. They've taken four points from the two games um, against Burnley. And, you know, that that has given them a cushion, which I think is going to see them right. So when we come out of this spell with no game and, and Burnley have played there for, where do Leeds United, we know where we want to be, where do you think we will be and how will we feel about it? Well, clearly one of those four has gone already because that was that was Norwich away. I don't see them getting much at West Ham, but I could see them beating Southampton at home. And likewise, Wolves away, I think, will be a, a difficult game for them. I suspect there's the potential for the, the gap to be cut to five points, six points, but probably no more than that. Uh, looking at where Leeds are now, I think if Leeds can get up beyond 35 points, which is pretty much what we've been saying for several weeks now, I think if they get beyond 35 points, they, they're probably going to be untouchable for the teams that are below them. I mean, we'll look at Palace when it comes round to uh, previewing that game next week. What do you think we need to get out of Palace then? So we're kind of doing theoreticals here and projecting off into the future, but it feels to me like avoiding defeat at Palace is is a really good return. A win there obviously pretty much puts the whole thing to bed. Yeah, very much so. I think prior to the, the weekend and, and prior to Burnley beating Everton, I felt a little bit like that about Watford. Just don't get beaten at Vicarage Road and, and it keeps you in, in good shape. But then the division closes up and you, your mindset changes away at Palace you would definitely take a point without a doubt you, you're right I think if, if Leeds were to win I go back to what I've been saying about other clubs previously which is that Brentford on 36 points I don't think are going down Southampton Villa on 36 points I don't think are going down so if Leeds find themselves on that mark then it would be hard to, to make an argument for, for them getting getting sucked in and the, you then have the, the strange perspective of a lot of good things have been said about Villa at certain points of this season and, and a lot of good things have been said about Steven Gerrard at points of this season as well. But there is only a three-point difference between them and Leeds and I think we all accept that Leeds have not had a great year and, and have not played particularly well. Um, so to, to creep towards 40 points by the end of the season, I would think would be would be quite an achievement given the way it's gone for Leeds. What do you make of the Premier League as a whole? Now we've spent the best part of, uh, of two seasons here. We, we've kind of been in that middling group throughout albeit at different ends of that middling group. Last season was nice, finished ninth, almost uh, Europe almost in sight. But then this season has been uh, gurgling around the plug hole just a little bit at times. Yeah, it, it seems to me that you've got a top end in the division, which is never going to change or is not going to change at great pace. You, you can always envisage a, a scenario where Chelsea get involved, get more involved in the title race and, and Manchester United obviously have much more potential than than they've shown. But a lot of the division is much of a muchness. And it seems to me that from year to year, there are probably 10, 11, 12 clubs in it who could 
be ninth or tenth, you know, like Crystal Palace this season, or could as easily be round about 17th, 18th, struggling to, to keep themselves up. It does seem to swing quite drastically and, and you can you can never quite call it. And I guess Leeds have been an example of that themselves. So comfortable last year. And actually one of the most entertaining teams to watch um, in the division in the first season after promotion. But a real struggle this season. And, and I think probably fair to say not as entertaining as we, we were accustomed to under Bielsa or, or as they were last year um, at all. So... Yeah, I think there's a there's a huge swathe of clubs in which if you're in any way consistent or in any way good, you can get beyond. But there's a definite ceiling for most teams as well. And, and it's pretty obvious where that ceiling lies. We've spent a lot of time looking downwards this season because of our position in the league. But I'm just looking at the table and talking about like a group of top clubs there that it's almost impossible to get into. But do we not look at Spurs as like a blueprint almost in that they've they've got their new stadium? And that's allowed them to bring in a lot more money. You could argue it's catapulted them up into that upper echelon and to the extent where they considered themselves worthy of being in the European Super League. So if if Leeds get the stadium development right and can up their revenues and you're playing in front of 55,000, 60,000 every week, whatever it might be, is that an aspiration to go after? Just need to spend a billion pounds on a stadium, you're saying? Well, let's not spend a billion. Let's spend a little under a billion. And then a billion on the squad as well. Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect job, job done. I think in, in the shorter term, Leicester, as we speak about quite regularly, are probably more likely to be the model that that Leeds can emulate, particularly when it comes to the option of taking money from high value players and, and reinvesting. And I think the the process of of you know upgrading Ellen Road and and Thorpe Arch as as they as the club have been doing is. I mean, it's been slightly different at Leicester. They have upgraded the Walker Stadium. They've they've actually moved to a new training ground um, at, at very very great expense. But that's probably the the middle ground. I think that the, the Leicester model is what I think can get you into pretty regular Europa League contention. Not so much the Champions League, although Leicester have been have been pretty close to that. But obviously, are no longer. You know, they, they've dropped down to ninth. They're, I don't think they're, they're going to qualify for Europe this season. Longer term, I guess. The world's your oyster, depending on the money you have to spend and, and the way in which you you expand. I always kind of feel, looking at the top four, that fourth position and and you know in certain seasons third as well can be attainable for clubs who've, who've got it together in in the right way. I think beyond that, when I watch City and Liverpool playing at the best, they just look a world apart from absolutely everything that's in the Premier League. And I think when you you get around to talking about divisions and divisions. This is one great example of that. They are so far beyond the rest of the, the teams, and and to an extent, with a, a very you know very small number of clubs, Manchester United being one, and, and Chelsea another. I suppose Arsenal you'd add into that group as well. If they could ever ever find a way to make it happen, they can chase those clubs. But for everybody else, you are I think trying to edge into Europa League contention, and then if you do, to think about whether or not. You know, from season to season, you you could nick fourth place. I think Spurs at the moment. I, I don't know how many people would look at Spurs as a club you, you desperately want to emulate, but in terms of fourth position, I think somebody like Leicester are a more realistic model for Leeds to to follow and to copy at the moment. Well, the reason I mentioned Spurs was is because they went from old White Hart Lane, which was about mid thirties capacity, up to sixty thousand, and it's it has just levelled them up to borrow a phrase. And actually, if you look at the table, with the exception of Chelsea in the top seven. All those stadiums are big capacity now. You're talking what north of fifty thousand for for all of them. And there's only the only outliers in the rest of the table are Newcastle, who have fifty two thousand but are currently fifteenth. But 
if you look at it, it's basically small ground all the way up to the biggest grounds at the top. So I was kind of looking at it from almost like an infrastructure point of view. And I know that the club and the 49ers have got a lot of, of stock in the redevelopment, haven't they? they? They think it's going to be the catalyst for pushing Leeds forward. It's, it's definitely a fair point. And Tottenham will benefit massively commercially from, from the stadium that they've got now. I think they are benefiting this season, though, from the fact that Manchester United and the Glazers seem perennially clueless about how to, to create a, a really strong and, and competitive team. And Arsenal are still pretty wishy-washy. Some of your traditionally stronger sides who you would expect to compete kind of consistently for fourth place or, or better are not really in the mix this season. And and I don't think, you know, it may well be that Tottenham deserve to finish fourth on the basis of what's in the league this season, but I don't think this is in, in any by any stretch a, a marquee Tottenham side. And I think there's a huge amount of improvement needed there for them to to significantly move from what they were previously to what they, they want to, to become. I mean, bear in mind that Tottenham have been in that kind of ballpark for quite a while now. And, and for them to, to move forward, they must be talking about trophies realistically. Trophies are, are regular Champions League qualification. But you're right. I mean, a bigger Ellen Road would make a massive difference to Leeds. In part because at a stroke, they would be able to sell 10, 15,000 more season tickets overnight. The waiting list is there. People would, would take them up on that. It does change things um, commercially for you. So I think that, coupled with accounts last week, which it has to be said were pretty good, actually. You know, I think you have to be fair and, and say that they were they were not at all bad, those results. There is definite room for growth at Leeds. There is, and, and we all know that. But I think the one thing that we're, we're all aware of is that the performance on the pitch is where most attention is needed at the moment. And with that in mind then, talking about Spurs deserving to finish fourth, where do Leeds United deserve to finish this season? Um, I would have said somewhere from about 14th down. Um, I think if Southampton are on 36 points and, and Villa and Brentford as well, you can credit Brentford for a good season. They have only just come up and, and it, you know, it goes without saying that, that they have big budgetary constraints there. But you know, if if Leeds have had a poor season, then I don't think it says an awful lot for the season Southampton have had. I don't think it says an awful lot for the season Villa have had either. They could conceivably finish twelfth. I mean, it, it, you know, or, or even a little bit higher because Brighton have Brighton have been slipping as well. That's kind of how it is in mid table. But I think bottom half would reflect the way that the season has gone. I think somewhere around about thirteenth, fourteenth would probably be right. Yeah, I think I go along with that. Looking at the the teams below, as it all seems fair enough. Maybe Newcastle just just a place above. I feel like we should have taken some more from them this season, which which I guess would switch the two positions that we're in. But mm. other than that, fine. I'll take fifteenth. Lovely. Happy days. Top half for me. <laughs> no, it's not, it, it hasn't been fun, has it? But um, as we were saying, you know, further back in the show, it just feels like we need to get to the end of this one. And when you were describing, like, you know, a club that is there a bigger club that needs a, a break than than Leeds United. I'd agree with that completely. It feels like get to the summer and then hit the big reset button and everybody breathe and just, right, what are we doing then? <laughs> uh, funnily enough, though, I mean, if you, you know, if, if Leeds overturn the four points between them and Brighton, and Brighton are in 11th at the moment, in terms of prize money, you're talking about a difference of £10 million. I mean, they, they, they cashed in heavily from the finish under Bielsa last season, ninth place. I think I, I saw Kieran Maguire, finance expert, estimating that that was worth around about £20 million to Leeds. So there is something to be gained from the running. And and I think it would be nice for Leeds if they could have even just, you know, the last three games, just a little stretch of, of the running that is not high tension and, and is not high pressure. Like you say, I think everybody needs the chance to exhale a little bit. And we can beat Chelsea because they'll have their mind potentially on an FA Cup final by that point. Why not? Why not? 
would you one of those, you know? Absolutely do something like that this season. I think West Ham away is probably the only game in which the result has come as a, a big surprise or in which Leeds have turned over a team who were, you know, heavy odds to to win the game. And so something from this, and we're, we're almost exactly 12 months on from that ridiculous win at the Etihad last season. So maybe Man City will be the one. It does intrigue me though, thinking about what this team might be like when the shackles are off, when the mental shackles are off. As you were saying there, like suddenly they discovered a bit of confidence in the spring in the step at Watford when it was 2-0 and we turned that into three and it looked like everyone was having a jolly nice time again. Hopefully we can get a little bit of that between now and the end of the season. Yeah, it would be great. It, it also intrigues me what this team is going to look like when next season starts. It does feel like we're, we're heading into a summer of change and it's hard to imagine that the, the kind of regular living as we're looking at it now is is going to be the regular living as we're looking at it next year. But as you say, just for the sake of a few games this season, the ability to play as they were able to in the last sort of 10, five, 10 minutes um, away at Watford would be would be an absolute treat. Right, lovely stuff, gents. Enjoy the rest of the uh, the Easter break. We'll be here next week. You and I, Phil, Michael's on holiday. So we'll have to think about how we uh, how we adequate, <laughs> adequately replace such a presence on the show. <laughs> Cardboard cut out. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening to the Phil Hay Show. We'll return next week. We'll see you in a bit. The Phil Hay Show.